Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The New Statesman. Hello, I'm Rachel Cunliffe, Associate Political Editor at The New Statesman. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by our Senior Editor, George Eaton, to discuss Labour's war against complacency. So, George, you kicked off 2024 with this piece in the first New Statesman edition of the new year about Labour's war on complacency. Why does Labour have to have a war on complacency in the first place? Like, what all of the polls are saying that Basically, the Tories can't catch up with them. Why is it that they have to inject this this note of caution at the start of this year? So I think the the, the starting points, as uh, Pat McFadden, Labour's uh, general election coordinator, put it to the shadow cabinet recently, is that we usually lose. <laughs> so Labour has a habit of losing elections to the Conservatives. And the reason they need to guard against complacency is because they've had poll leads in the past uh 1992 2015 that have been eroded and and they've seemingly snatched uh defeat from the uh from the the jaws of of victory their poll this time round is significantly larger it's currently around uh, 18 points on average no opposition has ever lost from a starting position this strong but the other crucial point, uh, which Morgan McSweeney, uh, Labour's uh, campaign director, uh, makes constantly, is that we live in an incredibly volatile electoral era. Um, voters swing between parties far more freely than they did in the past. I mean, the best example, perhaps, is you'll remember in uh, 2019, um, May, of the local elections, the European elections, the Tories were at, at a very... Uh, low ebb. Uh, By the end of the year, uh, with Boris Johnson having replaced Theresa May, they won uh, a a majority of of 80 seats. And the reason we're in this volatile era is because you've had so many factors, the financial crisis more recently, the cost of living crisis, um, Brexit, and that fading of tribal loyalties that that mean politics is, is in a very dynamic state. Yeah, you refer in the piece to the uh, electorate being more promiscuous, mm. which I, I, I love as a descriptive term. Basically, we're not as loyal as we were yeah. in the past and people switch between parties much more easily. Before we look at um, why Labour are trying not to be complacent and what that looks like in practice, like since 2019, I remember after that election... Uh, all of the commentary was we're destined for another 10 years of Tory rule. It's going to take Labour uh, years to recover. They might never recover. Um, and yet in four years, the turnaround has been remarkable. So what's happened in that time period? What has Labour done to help itself recover? What has Keir Starmer done? And what are some of the situational factors that have made that recovery possible for Labour? 
So I think to start, as 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 um, strategists put it to me recently, um, Labour has made itself not unelectable. In other words, Keir Starmer is seen as a as a credible candidate uh, for prime minister. He leads uh, Sunak on that uh, metric. Labour is trusted to run the economy. It leads the Conservatives on that metric too. And it's completely transformed its image since uh, the, the Corbyn years, but obviously suffered its, its worst defeat since 1935 in 2019. But the bigger factor really is, is just the extent of conservative unpopularity. Um, I interviewed the pollster John Curtis uh, for this piece, and he cited a few key turning points. One of them uh, was Partygate and the other associated scandals. The Conservatives lost, he said, about five to six points, really in a matter of weeks uh, at that time. Then you had the uh, trust uh, debacle uh, when the Conservatives really incinerated their economic reputation. They lost another five to six points over that period. Rishi Sunak, when he took over, seems to offer the possibility of some recovery. His uh, own approval ratings were significantly stronger than the Conservative Party's. But rather than Sunak boosting his party's ratings, his, his ratings have plummeted to match those of his party. So you now have got not just an unpopular party, but an unpopular prime minister. It's often said that rather than oppositions winning elections, governments lose them. I think you are at heart seeing a government throw away, uh, throw away uh, victory. And Labour's been lucky in another way as well, if you can call it if you can call it luck. You've got the implosion of the Conservatives, but there's also been some very interesting things happening in Scotland with the SNP as well. You say that... Um, for every 10 seats that Labour wins in Scotland, that's roughly half a million fewer votes than it needs in England and Wales. Uh, that's a, a quote from... Marcus Roberts of YouGov. And uh, if Labour gain 20 seats in Scotland, then that's a million votes mm. in England and Wales that they don't need. So you know, Scotland, what's been happening with the, the SNP since 2015, that's a really important story for Keir Starmer's chances as well, right? Absolutely. So when Labour lost, uh, when, when Labour was defeated in 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 twenty nineteen, it's often said that they will need a bigger swing than they achieved in nineteen ninety seven, simply for a majority of one. But those forecasts were based on an electoral map that assumed continued SNP dominance in Scotland. Now Labour are hopeful of winning twenty to twenty five seats in Scotland. That makes their task far less daunting, as you say, in, in, in England and Wales, and basically eases their path to, uh, to not just a majority, but a reasonably comfortable one. So with all of that said, at the same time, the shadow cabinet, Labour MPs are repeatedly being warned by party strategists not to be complacent. Morgan McSweeney showed them this presentation you write about uh, that showed elections uh, around the world, recent ones that hadn't gone the way expected. They referred to this as the uh, slides of doom. Um, what is the message that uh, Labour strategists are trying to kind of drum mm. into the, their MPs? And how is that going to have an impact on how this year plays out? Mm. The message there is very much, firstly, as I said, that voters are are, are volatile. Promiscuous, yep. Swings, voters can, can, can swing towards you and then swing away from you. But also that the, the wrong attitude for Labour is to think we've got this big poll lead. 
now we can um, sit back, uh, maybe grow grow complacent, and also perhaps we can we can start to take some some big risks on our, our on our messaging or on policy announcements, spending commitments. Uh, Morgan McSweeney says they need the opposite mindset, which is we need to go out and win every day. And you 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 need to act not as if you've got uh, a big poly that you can simply take for granted. Uh, that's very much the attitude that that Labour had in 1997. Um, Tony Blair gave an interview to the New Statesman in March of that year, and he said complacency is the absolute enemy of the Labour Party. Yes, the Tories are fighting like ferrets in a sack, but these people have won four elections in a row. They're not going to give up Downing Street without a fight. Uh, word for word, you could use uh, that quote today. Speaking of the Conservatives fighting like ferrets in a sack, uh, we've had numerous resets and U-turns from Rishi Sunak about kind of how he wants to fight the next election. It looked like uh, in October at the Conservative Party conference, he was going to try and go for a vote for change and I am change and really distanced himself from previous Conservative Prime Ministers, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, even David Cameron. But then he brought David Cameron back into his government and the speech that he gave at the start of this year he was going for a different strategy entirely, which is um, stick with us or go back to square one with Labour, the sort of better the devil you know than the devil you don't uh, strategy. How does Labour respond to that? They're going they're going big on the change, right? On the message of like, we need change. Absolutely. So the Conservatives very much wants, I think, to turn the election into a referendum on Labour uh, rather than a referendum on their own record, you can't you can't um, blame them really, can yeah. you? <laughs> and I mean, Labour 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 is going to constantly remind voters that yes, the Conservatives may have changed leader, but they have been in government fourteen years. Their their record is in general not one to not one to to trumpet, and they will exploit that sense, classic uh, electoral uh, sense that. Uh, this party has had long enough in office and it's time to give the the other party a try. And they will try and reassure voters as far as possible. Um, but there's the, the, there's this constant balancing act between hope and, and reassurance. And that's why in particular you've seen Labour uh, having this big internal debate over the 28 billion uh, target for green investments. Yeah, so there's this tension there over... Are they being radical enough? Are they being too radical? If you announce a, a big, bold policy like that, do the Conservatives seize on it and say that you, you can't be trusted with the nation's finances? If you don't announce bold policies, people go, well, what's the point of voting for you? Anyway, but all of those resets that Rishi Sunak has attempted, none of them have really eroded Labour's poll lead at all. And when I speak to Conservative MPs, they won't say it in those many words, but they're pretty resigned to losing the next election. And I'm wondering, when you speak to Labour figures, do you get the sense that, yes, they're saying this about complacency and we have to fight for every vote, but do they really think there's a genuine chance that they could lose? Yes, I, th I still think they, they, they think there's a chance, but I also think they, like all of us, see, see the clear evidence both in public polls and in their own private polling that the country has formed a view of the of the Conservatives. Now, they're aware that that could shift, but they're also aware that they will likely be entering office before the end of this year. Um, the election is likely to be held in November. So that's why alongside um, this election strategy, campaign strategy, they're preparing for government. I mean, they have to. As one shadow cabinet 
minister put it to me recently, some see it as measuring the curtains, but actually the voters would be pretty annoyed and disappointed if we entered office without really having thought through how we're going to implement our policies. Labour is expected to soon request uh, access talks, mm. as they're known, these with, civil with, civil ser- with civil servants, where these, these happen with every opposition. They have the chance to talk through their policy programme with civil servants before the election so that if they enter office, and of course generally in the British system, you do enter office very soon after after polling day. We don't tend to have months of uh, coalition negotiations, unlike in Europe. Uh, it's designed to ensure that they're ready to uh, to hit the ground running. After the break, we'll discuss how tactical voting and campaign finances could affect the election. If you're subscribed to the New Statesman, you can get all of our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to talk about two factors that maybe aren't like the headline issues in an election, but could be really interesting for this. One of them is money um, and one is tactical voting. So on money, the Conservatives generally raise more and spend more than Labour. And they've actually raised the national spending limit for general elections, uh, you write, from from 19 million to 34 million, um, which still feels really low to me compared to what they spent on American elections. Um, in Britain, we do everything on a slightly smaller scale. Um, but there's sort of that question there about money and what that buys you in terms of adverts and campaign staff and where you focus your resources. And then the other issue is, is is tactical voting, which was obviously very relevant in 1997. We've had a couple of by-elections now where it has looked like voters go for whatever candidate is most likely to get the Tories out, whether that's the Lib Dems or, or Labour. But there hasn't been any kind of formal deal between Labour and the Lib Dems. Um, neither Keir Starmer or Ed Davies seem particularly interested in, in having that conversation. What do you make of those two factors going into an mm. election year? So on the first, uh, Labour has uh, taken notice of the, of the Conservatives quietly increasing that spending li- limit, as you say, to 34 million. They see that as a sign that they're not conceding uh, defeats in advance that you don't try and raise that amount of money in, in, in British politics from donors unless you're serious about about winning uh, and 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 delivering for them. Um, Rishi Sunak has not been prime minister for for very long, so the Conservatives are going to are going to to fight Labour Labour hard, and it's also why Labour has been on a big fundraising drive. Um, you've seen private donations which uh, had all but dried up under previous leaders. Uh, now dramatically increase. Um, they also have obviously uh, trade union funding as well. So Labour's aim is to is to be able to to rival the the Conservatives. 
Then on the tactical voting point, this is really a, f a phenomenon that was hugely helpful for New Labour and, 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 and Tony Blair from 1997 to 2005, that those three majorities owed a lot to voters essentially saying, is it Labour or the Lib Dems who's best place to beat the Conservatives? I'll back uh, whichever is. You've seen that phenomenon return in, in, in recent by-elections, as you say. And in understanding the electoral map, a key thing to understand is that there are very few uh, Labour v Lib Dem contests. Uh, one of the few exceptions is, is, is Sheffield Hallam, uh, Nick Clegg's uh, former seat. But in general, the Lib Dems, and they're very open about this, are concentrating their efforts on the Tory-held Blue Wall. So that's seats like uh, Chesham and Amersham, which they won in a, a, a by-election where traditional Tories uh, have been alienated by Brexit, uh, the spike in mortgage rates, um, sewage, uh, those those issues that Ed Davey has really tried to capitalise on. Now, that is hugely helpful to Labour in, in, in two senses. First, um, it could uh, help ensure that, that Labour easily become the largest party because the Conservatives lose a significant number of seats to the, the Lib Dems, but also because the Lib Dems have less of a national strategy than a blue wall strategy. In other other times, you have seen the Lib Dems try to outflank Labour from the left. Uh, it's one of the reasons there was so much anger uh, among Labour when they went into coalition with the Conservatives. But in general, to try and rival Labour as the principal opposition to the government. Whereas this time round, Ed Davey is not talking about um, trying to enter coalition. He's not pitching himself as the possible next prime minister, which you'll remember Joe Swinson did do in 2019. I remember Joe Swinson. Uh, <laughs> Feels before, like a very long time ago. <laughs> shortly before losing her seat. Um, really, the Lib Dems have a have a blue wall strategy above all, and that is uh, very electorally dangerous for the Conservatives and very helpful for Labour. And obviously, uh, unhelpful for the Conservatives as well in this election, you've got reform formerly the Brexit party, and uh, they're being very clear that they are targeting Tory seats as well this time. And even though they've said they're trying to win votes off Labour as well, yeah. like demographically, electorally, they're more of a threat on the right of the Conservatives and they could split the vote and help Labour win more. Although I imagine you probably aren't getting many Labour figures publicly saying, you know what, we're really, really grateful to Nigel Farage at the moment. No, absolutely. I think, and and the, the Tories' uh, reform problem, and you, you've obviously been been following this story closely, you interviewed uh, Richard Tice, could become bigger depending on, on, on just what role Nigel Farage plays in their election campaign. And if the degree of... Uh, Tory disillusionment with the Sunak government grows um, while he's while he's in office. Obviously, it's still uh, a fair way to go till till the election. On on reform, though, it's interesting. John John Curtis made this point to me that they are competing for Labour with Labour for a protest vote. So this is people who voted Conservative in 2019, disillusioned with the the government now. Um, and he said about one in one in five uh, of those voters have gone to Labour, but a similar number have now gone to Reform. And so Labour's overall polled um, is, is is strong, but their share of the vote has dipped somewhat compared to, to previous months. And that's because Reform have been capturing some of those uh, disillusioned voters. Finally, now that we're fully in campaign mode and it's already feeling like it's going to be the longest campaign ever if the election isn't until until autumn. What do you think are the, the key policies, the key messages that Labour will really want to get out there as part of their mm. election campaign strategy? 
Yes. So um, they went through this at a recent uh, NEC uh, away day that I that I write about in the piece. I mean, their their message really is above all that the conservatives have have failed the country, that we need change, that they've had a, a, a disastrous 14 years in office, that that Keir Starmer is ready to be prime minister and that Labour has changed. So that's really an appeal to those who um, who voted conservative uh, in some cases for the first time in 2019 because they wanted to keep Jeremy Corbyn out. So that's really, that's their overall campaign message. Which um, policies can you expect to see accompany that? Well, they've got the the five missions. Um, perhaps the most uh, obvious one is is that on economic growth, to give Britain the highest growth in in the G7. Now that might sound quite uh, quite wonkish, but I think what Labour's trying to do on economic growth is to counter this idea that Labour is a party that's simply interested in spending taxpayers' money, borrowing money. It's less interested in in in, in creating wealth, and their their view is 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 Britain's uh, economic uh, growth, particularly since uh, 2016, has been has been very poor. And Labour needs to show that it has ideas to generate more wealth before talking about how it would um, spend that money. But as we mentioned before, it has got some big targeted pledges. The 28 billion has been downgraded to to an ambition, but I think will still be a big theme of their campaign because the Green Prosperity Plan, as it's known, is is at the heart of Labour's it's centerpiece. Right, it, it, it's absolutely crucial to the to the growth strategy. I mean, they've got this target of of decarbonising the grid by 2030. Now, there is no way that you achieve that without significant state investment, so that is important. And then they've made some targeted promises on tax rises. So they've promised to abolish uh, non-dom status and also to add VAT to um, private school fees, as well as uh, being popular policies. Those work for them well politically because both of them give an opportunity to draw attention to Rishi Sunak's uh, wife's non-dom status and also uh, he was probably educated, went went to Winchester Keir Starmer's uh, shadow cabinet, by contrast, would be, I think, the least privately educated in British history. And it, this is one of the interesting differences with 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 Blair and, and, and New Labour, to which um, Starmer's often often compared. Starmer and Rachel Reeves are very relaxed talking the language of, of class in, in, in common with much of the, the shadow cabinets, uh, whereas New Labour almost uh, look towards a post class era. Summer is very much aware that class does still matter. And they're quite prepared to make that um, a political issue as well as a policy one. Yeah, you saw that with uh, Keir Starmer accusing Rishi Sunak of being out of touch and not getting Britain because he's insulated by some of the problems, the cost of living crisis because of his wealth. Uh, Is there anything that you think we've missed or that we should particularly be looking out for as, as we head into this year that you think actually like if you want to understand what's going to happen in this election, think about this. So I think I think key key to understanding it is 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 that it's not just the head-to-head Labour v v Conservative contest. Scotland is crucial. What happens in the Blue Wall with the the Lib Dems and the Tories is crucial. Reform is crucial. You know, elections uh, are won and lost. Uh, seats are won and lost at at, at the margins. Um, it, a, a small swing in a key number of seats can make a massive difference under first past the post. The other thing I'd say is we've already seen that with the the post office uh, story uh, this year. I don't think anyone expected that to be the defining 
policy uh, subject of Westminster's first week back um, from recess. So we have to be prepared for so-called black swan events, things that people don't see coming, um, policies that suddenly attract huge attention during an election campaign that maybe the parties had, uh, had, had tried to quietly bury in their manifestos. All of that will be, will be crucial. And also, uh, Rishi Sunak, Kirstam, a lot of the, the interventions they make are very um, planned, um, quite, quite scripted, understandably. When you're in the heart of a, of a campaign, um, you're meeting far many more voters. There's much more opportunity for scrutiny. It will be a test of them personally as well. You've written about uh, Rishi Sunak's tetchiness, for instance. <laughs> I think he's going to blow up on uh, the campaign trail. There is, there is a fear on, among the Tories that that he could be a bit of a, a bit of a liability on the, on the campaign trail. So all of that will be in the mix too. I mean, John Prescott punching a voter is obviously up there in uh, in unexpected uh, campaign moments. Uh, this this election in particular is going to be incredibly hard uh, hard fought because um, so much is is at stake um, and the Conservatives have been um, in power so long that I think you know Rishi Sunak doesn't want to be the remembered as the, as 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 the Tory leader who 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 lost office after this long reign. It's certainly going to get very heated. George Eaton, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, just leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Rachel Cunliffe, and my colleague, George Eaton. We'll be back on Thursday to discuss the week's political news. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.